Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the secret story behind every book. Joining me today is someone who has become a friend as we've been talking, getting ready for this interview. Her name is Christine Hassing, and she has written the most inspiring and wonderful book. It's called Hope Has a Cold Nose. Now, Christine is a published author. She's also a leadership mentor, an inspirational speaker, as well as an advocate of cold noses as healers. She's also an architect building a bridge between voices across perspectives, across cultures, across nations, across distance and space. Christine, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to welcome you to Books on Air. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you. It is definitely my honor. You know, I know that you tell the story of how the book came to be in the prologue. And one of the things that I always like to explore with an author is how their book came to be. Would you share that story with our listeners? Be glad to. Um, So when I was earning my master's, um, I was in a course um, with a veteran and his service dog. And we were given a class assignment to create something new. It was pretty open-ended, but we were given an assignment, just create something you haven't done before in the context of leading. So I asked this veteran if I could write his life story. And the thing was, writing life stories was not new to me. Um, I had been volunteering at a local hospice, and I'd been writing end-of-life stories, And I had also just spent about six months prior to meeting this veteran writing letters for a good friend who was dying of cancer, and she wanted to leave her words of wisdom for her six-year-old and three-year-old sons. And so when I met Jacob and Tracer um, and wrote their life story, what was new about that was I had not wrote a life story till then of someone who was not knowingly dying. And in that way that nothing is coincidence, um, I realized a few months later I was meant to write a story to then write Hope Has a Cold Nose. But one of the things that Jacob shared with me when he was sharing a story um, was a statistic at the time that I did not know was that 22 veterans um, reached a point in which there was no more hope in life and they would take their lives at their own hands. And I'm someone who believes so much in hope, no, not from a, you know, everything is rainbows, but from a place of there's always meaning we can give in the ebbs of life that it just really grabbed hold of my heart. And I wanted to do something to try to um, help that hopelessness turn into more hope. You know, when I started to read the book, I, I shared with you that the stories are so wonderful. And there are 23 stories in the book, and each one is about a veteran and about a dog that has helped that veteran in ways that are just sort of unbelievable. How did you find the veterans, and how did you get them to tell you, a stranger, 
their story. This has to be very, very close and very deep inside them. Yeah. um, And, you know, I would say it was not lost on me, the very um, sacred gift I was given in that for for a couple of reasons, if not more, is one, it's hard for anyone to share a story of what I like to say is pain, trauma, sorrow, or despair. Um, You know, all the veterans shared about their stories with PTSD, but I reframe it to be pain, trauma, sorrow, despair, because I think that all of us as human beings know at least one of those elements, at least once in our lives. And so I, I wanted to build a bridge, so to speak, in um, listening to someone's story who feels like their story is not worthy of being heard. And um, and then the other thing is I'm a civilian. I don't have that experience. I didn't grow up in a family who was um, military-oriented. So it was certainly sacred um, that they were sharing their stories with me as well from that context. But what I did is, you know, Jacob led me to a couple of more. Um, I reached out to different organizations. Um, Someone would mention someone they thought wanted to share their story. And I think that, one, um, I was able to earn the trust in, you know, listening to their story and how I, I wrote it, that they knew my intentions um, were coming from a good place. That was one. So I earned the trust that way. But there was also a commonality that everybody wanted to do something to help reduce the 22 to zero. And so that purpose gave them, um, you know, a, a, a little strength, I guess I would say, to share that story to a stranger because we had we all had a common mission that we were working towards. You know, it would seem to me, I know that journaling for people can be very, very cathartic. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I know that storytelling in itself is cathartic in its own way. And it changes our brain whenever we're telling a story and whenever we're listening to a story. And that was one of the things that I thought was so powerful about the book was you have 23 people and you have 23 animals who have impacted the lives of those people and they're telling their story and i'm wondering if after they told their story did any of them say anything to you about that made me feel better um i've mm. never done that before did you did you did anything like that happen when you were hearing their stories you know, after they finished I'll, I'll share i'll share one example that actually happened during the storytelling process it was one particular veteran who shared a part of his story when he was deployed and he was a medic and there was a life that he could not save. And he knew logically, um, you know, why he couldn't save that life. But emotionally, um, that was one of his, you know, pain, trauma, sorrow, despair elements that, you know, he as a medic had taken an oath to save lives and here was a life that he couldn't save. And my approach in storytelling is one, I never have questions because I always feel that what the person wants to share is their story that I'm meant to hear or have the sacred honor of of writing. And the other is I, I try not to add 
my perspective during the conversation. I, I try to, to truly be just the listener. And so we were both quiet for a couple of minutes. And then I asked if I could share a personal belief I have. And, and he graciously said yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, what incredible grace and dignity, though, you gave this person as you were with him on the last moments of his life. And he got quiet and he's like, I've never thought of it that way before. Now, it's not that I think that he still isn't grieving that or still doesn't have that come back and, and really hurt him. But what I look at is he now has a chance to play a different scene in that voice or that movie that he's telling himself in his mind to, to think about it a little bit different. So, and he, he shared with me later, much later after a story, how that had helped him. And I had another person who was actually a Vietnam veteran. So many years of journeying with pain, trauma, sorrow, despair. Um, and he shared about how his story um, had, that was now written had just changed the connection in really meaningful ways with his children. I think it gave a voice that he wasn't able to give quite the same way until he had a written story. I love that. And, you know, I love the fact that you were able to help somebody. We all get stuck. We get stuck with that movie in our head about an event or about ourselves or, uh, you know, something, whether it's trauma or whether it's just we have low self-esteem or low self-confidence. We get stuck. And sometimes mm -hmm. someone taking the time to say something like you did to him all of a sudden, there will be the, the proverbial light bulb that will go on, and there's a different take on the story that I've been telling myself for so long. All of a sudden, there's a different window, and I see it in a different way. I think that's so powerful, and I think what you've done with this book is exactly that for people to read. I think sometimes if we don't know someone, and I'm right there with you, I have, I'm a civilian, I, my dad served in World War II, but that's mm -hmm. the only connection that I have ever had with service. And by the time I was old enough to really know anything, I mean, that was so far in his past that I don't think he ever really talked about it, never occurred to me to ask any questions about it. So I don't have any connection with it either. I didn't know anyone who died in Vietnam. I didn't even mm -hmm. really know anyone who went to Vietnam. So not having a direct connection, I think, makes it harder for us to understand what they went through. And I think your book shines a beautiful, bright light on what people well, not only went through, but what they're going through. Well. Thank you for your very kind and gracious words. And if I may, you know, share one of the themes um, that, you know, each story was different, but there was some themes. And one of the themes was part of the healing power of each of the dogs was the unconditional listening and the unconditional acceptance. Um, and I remember one veteran saying it this way. He said, I have an amazing wife. And he said, she does everything that she can to listen to my story. He said, you know, but he said, 
even if I know she's not trying to judge my story, I'm already judging my story. And so I already then struggle to share it because I feel like she's judging it, even if she's not. He said, but I can turn to my dog and say whatever I'm feeling at the moment, tell them whatever story that I want to say. And I'm just met with eyes and ears that say, I love you just as you are. And I accept your story for what it is. Oh, I love that. And there's such a strong connection between us as human beings with animals, especially dogs. Where do the dogs come from? Are these specially trained dogs? I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, I thought they would have to be. They are. It's about a two-year training process um, to train a, a dog and then... Um, a veteran, you know, when they're paired with their dog, it tends to be about a six-week training just to build that team cohesiveness. Um, there is some organizations trying to, you know, create a, a faster timeline, if you will, without shortchanging the the depth. Um, some of the dogs are rescued. Other organizations, they are purebred. It, 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 it varies. Um, But I would say on average, it's about a two-year training process. How do you match the dog with the person? Gosh, you know, I think that would be a great, um, (laughs) great question for the people actually training from from the naive civilian aspect. I say civilian just because I'm not a dog trainer in that. I think they look at... um, you know, one, what is the needs of the veterans? So like some veterans, they have their dog also is able to help them with mobility oh. um, or help retrieve medicines for them or help turn on a light. You know, others, it's more, you know, is this dog quieter because maybe the veteran is, is quieter or this dog, you know, is more um, silly because this veteran has a sense of humor. You know, I think there's some of that element as well that they look at. And I think they they first look at that first meet and greet, and then they use that six weeks to say, okay, are we, you know, are we seeing a good fit here? Are Are they gelling together? That sort of thing. That's really interesting. Maybe that's another book to see how, you know, how <laughs> exactly. that all works. There, yeah. Thank you for planting that seed. I appreciate that. Certainly, because mm-hmm. it's not, it, it, I thought that it probably was not a simple process. But, you know, it's, it's funny. I found myself, the pandemic, of course, is, is coloring so many parts of our lives that we never thought about before. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found myself doing, and this is really I I can't tell you what drew me here. I've started watching the veterinarian shows and the zoo shows. And so, yeah. And so what happens is really interesting. Exactly what you've been talking about in your book happens to so many people. They, they come in almost everyone. I don't know if you've ever watched one of these veterinarian shows, but they, they bring their animal in. They're so connected to the animal. They talk about the animal. Almost almost every one of them says they're a part of my family, and I'm so mm-hmm. worried about Bitsy or Fluffy or or Fred <laughs> or whatever the, the, the animal's name is. Sometimes it's a lizard. Sometimes it's a snake. Sometimes it's a dog. It's a cat. It's a hamster. I mean, it's all kinds of things, but they use the same words, and you see this strong connection between that person and that animal. You watch the animal be treated most of the time, everything comes out all right, but the vet shows will also show you when things don't come out all right. 
the zoo people say exactly the same thing about the animals that they're responsible for in the zoo, whether it's a elephant, a tiger, a spider, whatever it is, they're connected directly to the animals. And it, it's just been so interesting because when when I was listening to you talk, those kinds of things were running through my head. I never thought about those kinds of things before. I mean, I know that I loved my cat, you know, I, I cared about him. I didn't right. like it that he had to go to the vet. I didn't like it that he was sick. I didn't like something was wrong with him. And I would talk to him exactly like you were saying that they look for when they're matching dogs and that's so I just it's so funny that I've just that mm-hmm. because I'm watching these zoo shows and these veterinarian <laughs> shows, this just all clicked into place for me. Would you share a part of the book with our listeners? I know they'd love to hear some of it. Yeah, I, I would be honored. I, I have some paragraphs I've extracted from a story um, that I would be honored to share. So. I took part in a lot of missions in Afghanistan in 2005 and 2006 during my active duty. I underestimated the level of responsibility I would bring home with me. One is trained that though it won't be for lack of giving your all, loss will be a guarantee. Training doesn't include the guilt you will feel that you survive and those you serve beside your friends won't be as lucky. I took part in one-on-one therapy or maybe I should say I took part in one on eight. I was put on a seven medication regime to help me get through nights and days. My mission was to make a living and make it through each day. One medication would help bring me awake while another would then strive to keep anxiety away. Then when drowsiness would set in from the one that was trying to level out anxiety, another one would be taken along with energy drinks. My second therapist was a really cool guy who later I would come to know was a wise angel in disguise. They'll be better off if you leave. You've caused them enough pain, don't you think? You aren't worth anything for them. You can't even provide for their basic needs. You'll be able to help them understand how much you love them in your letter of goodbye. Yep, right there. Grab that pen and here's some paper. Now write. Dear kids, I want you to know your dad loves you more than anything. I need you to promise you will be good for your mom and I need you to take care of her for me. The greatest days of my life are when I said I do to your mom and when I became a dad to each of you. I'm sorry I couldn't have been a better one, for you deserve the best of everything. You have made me so proud of who each of you are becoming. A letter to my children was in my pocket when I went for my therapy appointment on a particular day. That angel in disguise I mentioned above was my therapist sensing I was not okay. He asked, he probed, he sniffed out the truth of what was on my mind. I am forever grateful he saw past what I was striving to hide. I'm largely off medications, only occasionally needed one for anxiety when Brinkley can't be beside me. I wish I could tell you that I no longer have darkness shadow me. I wish I could tell you that suicide is now only a word in a dictionary. The question of living life still knocks from time to time. Yet, because Brinkley, like my therapist did, senses when these thoughts come, his reached out paw erases these thoughts quickly from my mind. If you wonder the benefit of a service dog, let me simply say, a service dog saves a life. Dad, I have something for you, and please excuse the rule that has it a little soggy. Yes, it is a letter to you from me. Dad, I wish I could have been... 
beside you the day the pain became too great a weight to lift. Yet, true to the deepest pain comes from it the greatest gifts. If you hadn't gone through the darkness, we would not have become a team. My life would not be complete if you had not been led to me. To fulfill one's purpose in life is a life well lived indeed. How fortunate I am that I will have lived the best life there could ever be. Dad, you are fulfilling yours too, even though there are days it might not feel that way. Service to others is your footprint you have and will continue to make. To your country, to mom, to your children, to friends, to me, Brinks, every step you take. I am so proud of you, Dad, and I'm even more proud I got to serve for and beside you. No better mission I could ever do. All my love, Brinks. Wow, Christine. Who's the poet? Uh, I'm the author. I thought that. so. I thought so. <laughs> that's, that's why I asked the question. I thought so. And you've combined in the book your poetry. You bring the story from the vet. You combine your poetry, some of your own observations. It's a It's a really interesting, interesting book. Did you have an audience in mind when you were writing the book? Yeah, you know, I would say that um, initially my audience was 22 veterans a day. And then you mentioned the pandemic a few minutes ago. Um, So I had a goal that I wanted at least 22 stories because of the symbolism of the number. And just at the heart of the world starting to lock down, I still needed approximately five stories for that goal. And in a matter of one to two weeks, all five stories crossed my path. And I started to feel like this book was for more than 22 lives a day or more than veterans or more than families of veterans. This was now a book to that I thought everybody could relate to, back to that pain, trauma, sorrow, despair. But suddenly the whole world understood isolation and understood anxiety and understood some of those things, those fears of uncertainty that veterans have been living with for a long time. And suddenly it, it took away a risk of a negative stereotype when we hear the word PTSD to something that we could all relate to um, in in some way. And so I feel like this book is for, you know, anyone that um, wants to understand more about someone on a journey of pain, trauma, sorrow, despair, wants to understand about the healing power holistically um, that we can get through animals, in particular um, canines in this book. And maybe... Um, Someone who, you know, wants to be able to read a story and and read a sentence and go, wow, somebody gets how I feel and they never have to share it because it sometimes people don't want to share that deepest part. But there's an understanding that's in this book for them to find they're not alone. I love that. I I'm sure that our listeners are saying to themselves, where can we find the book? So let's tell them. Go to okay. Amazon. Yes. yes. That's part you can of that's go to job. Amazon. Um, you can go to Amazon. You can um, also find it on Barnes & Noble. There's also Balboa Press. You could also go to my webpage, um, which is christinehassing.com. And I have a link there as well that can take you um, 
to the places I mentioned, or you can also contact me and I'm more than glad to mail you a book and I would even sign it for you. Well, let me give them the specific title and let me do some spelling so that they'll get your name right. The name of the book is very simple. Hope has a cold nose, exactly spelled the way you think it is, by Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Hassing, H-A-S-S-I-N-G. Now, when you go to Amazon, you'll see this lovely book cover. Now, Christine, I asked you earlier about this. I'm curious. Is there significance? The book cover is quite poignant. Mm-hmm. So one of the organizations that very graciously linked me up to, I believe, seven of the stories in the book, um, I reached out to them um, to ask about using a picture of a veteran and service dog for the cover. And they immediately told me this one they thought would be great. Um, And that particular person on the front cover, um, his story is not in the book. Um, He is on a journey with cancer and, um, and opted not to share his story, but he was very, very gracious, very kind and very honored that I would use um, a picture. And so I reached out to an artist and she sketched the picture from a photograph. And that is now the cover of the book. I think the sketch is far more effective than a photograph mm-hmm. would have been because it just, it, it immediately captures your attention. Mm-hmm. Now we gave, you gave your website to the listeners. And we talked about that they could get the book on Amazon. If they go to Amazon, all they have to do is just click on the on the buy there and they can buy it right there on that page. You mentioned Barnes and Noble. You mentioned your publisher. If they go to the website, what else will they find there? Yep. So certainly information about this book, um, information about a book I wrote prior to this, which was a memoir. But also there's a link to, um, I, I issue a a monthly email and blog um, all around hope. So um, I've started a quest this year. You can follow me on that quest of what hope is um, as I talk to others. And you also find a link to services that I provide in addition to um, writing books. Um, So I do coaching for individuals. I help people write their own stories, lots of things. So please check it out. And there's another spot where you can email me just to chat. I welcome that too. Now on your your website, you also have links to your Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, and you've got Correct. some some things on the YouTube channel. Tell me about those. Correct. Yes. So I um, there was a few months where I was posting weekly some YouTube videos, kind of um, I will say mindfulness in nature. Um, it was just walking with me in nature and kind of inspirational messages that maybe could be helpful on a given day if it just seemed like it was a little cloudy out or inside yourself. Um, so there's, um, there is a link there. There's one video in particular, but you can go on YouTube and find me there as well. And there's links to all my social media pages um, that you should be able to find there also. I love the book. I love what you've done. I think that you have given a voice to so many people who, whose voices are not heard. And I think the, the stories, if people will simply pick up a copy of the book and they may not read this book cover to cover. They may read this book, read a story, 
think about it, maybe talk about it even with their family or if they're involved in education or church groups or I can see this book being used in so many different ways simply because there are 23 different lives represented here, 23 different stories, 23 different dogs, and 23 different relationships and and positive things that happen with those dogs and those human beings. What is it when they when they read the book and they read the last story for the last time and they either electronically or physically close the cover. What is it that you really would like for them to take away from these 23 stories? You know, I think that um, I I wrote this in the beginning of the book. All of us just want to be seen and heard. And I think another aspect is um, we all know grief and we all struggle to to share that grief or to know what to do if somebody else is grieving. We don't necessarily know what to say, um, how to handle that. But I think that if we, if, if at least one story in this book can one, either help you on your journey as a reader with your own grief to know you're not alone or to find a compassion to listen to somebody else who's struggling with pain, not because we can fix it, but just simply to listen, not necessarily to accept the story, but just simply to listen. I think that we start to create a very, very, very big ripple of hope. And if we can act like the dogs in these books that unconditionally listen, I think we get to a place where the grief doesn't hurt so much because we're all in it together. You know, I also think one of the most important things that you've done with this book and with these the people who are willing to share their stories is that you've made them be individuals and you've mm-hmm. made them be real people, not a group, not just veterans. Now, each one of these stories, you have a name and you have a name for that service dog. And I think that is a very important thing that you've done with this book, and I want to thank you so much for bringing it to Books on Air and for being my guest today. It's just been a pleasure to talk with you. Truly my honor, and I just want to thank you not only for your time, for the great questions, um, but the mirror that you've held up to me as well um, and what you just shared. So thank you. Thank you my for pleasure. That. Oh, my pleasure. Now, remember, you can find Hope Has a Cold Nose by Christine Hassing, H-A-S-S-I-N-G, on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris. And I do hope you'll join me for the next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.